Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. The way that this sermon series works is, y'all know, um, when I talk about the Lord's Prayer, do you know what I'm talking about? Like the, um, the Our Father who art in heaven thing that we say at the end of the worship service. So that is from kind of like a... Uh, uh, a prayer that Jesus gave us that when all the disciples were like, how do we actually pray? Jesus says some words and that kind of like became the prayer that one of the most core central prayers of the church for the past 2000 years. It's something that we carry on generation to generation. And because of that, it is perhaps the most cited and recited any like text or prayer or anything that has ever like existed. Like it's like a, uh, something that we share with uh, a lot of the Christian family, even when we don't share a lot of other things. And, uh, and it's, it's such a gift that sometimes if you're someone who grew up in the church like me, you kind of start, stops meaning anything because it's like you say it so many times. And so um, for this sermon series, we're going to be going through a different part of the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer or Our Parent or Our Mother um, as, as kind of like a way to like reawaken the power that is present in these words to, instead of just being kind of like this rote thing that you might have learned a long time ago, in uh, revisiting it as like the most powerful words that God on earth gave us to be able to make sure that we always found a way back home. And the, um, so today uh, we are going to look at our parent who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we're putting it in conversation with the text that you just heard Michelet expertly read. Um, and because uh, in this opening of the prayer, and really we could do a sermon series where we looked at like each individual word because of how powerful it is. Like, Wow, just like think about the fact that it's our, like possessive, not my, but our. And it's, uh, okay, so we can, we can just go word by word, but uh, instead we're going to look at it a section in conversation with um, the prayers that we see throughout other parts of the Bible. And the main theme that I want to talk to you today is something that historically is called adoration, adoration. Um, adoration, it means like when you love something so much that you like behold it and are in awe of it and are just like doting and affectionate and pouring out so freely because you, because that's how much you love it. That's what it means to adore something. It's also the first name of Adore Delano, season six of RuPaul's Drag Race, anyone? No? Okay. So, uh, <laughs> so we're <laughs> disambiguation. We're not talking about the drag queen from season six of RuPaul's Drag Race. We are talking about the theme of loving God so much because it, it seems like, um, a really important part of our faith. And it shows up again and again. You heard in this, that prayer from David, um, from Michelet, that, um, uh, that loving prayer. Oh, and I didn't even ask you for words that stuck out, did I? I just jumped right off the bat. Uh, like, wh what are words that stuck out from that reading? Like, I loved everlasting to everlasting. And like, yeah, did anything else? I know it was kind of like, now I'm asking you to remember something that was three minutes ago. But like, that kind of sense of like, 
You are the ruler of it all, the source of all that is good. The, um, there, there's kind of like a might, uh, a, a regalness uh, in, in what David is talking about. And honestly, like adoration is one of the things that is really hard and kind of hollow for people who are new to the faith or for people who are questioning or in kind of a season of questioning. And so if you don't identify as Christian, um, uh, one of the things that might be hardest is like this language of adoration and love because it's like, you know, if Jesus was just about helping people, it's pretty easy to be like, oh yeah, helping people is helping people. Like I, I get why that is important or I get why justice, which is a huge theme in the Bible and a huge part of our faith. Like I, I see, even if I didn't believe in God or Jesus, like I see why justice is helpful. But adoration is kind of a, a, a sticky little spot for people who don't necessarily identify as Christian because, um, because it's, it requires a certain like love and attachment and self-offering to something that's greater than yourself, that um, if you're not totally sure if that thing exists, it can be hard or it can feel kind of hollow or awkward to be like, I love you, God, who might not be there. Or, you know, like, you're the ruler of it all, but are you? Do you even exist? Like, there's, it's, adoration is kind of a tough pill to swallow for people who are new. And I just want to give a shout out, like, if you don't necessarily identify as Christian, um, we are grateful that you're choosing to spend your time with New City Church. And, like, I'm really moved as a pastor by the folks who are so actively questioning and searching and hungering for a sense of something greater, for a sense of truth and a sense of community that they come to New City Church, um, even when they're not totally sure. I love that, love that, love that. And your questions and doubts are welcome here. And, uh, and we're such a, yeah, yeah, like if we're gonna, <laughs> if one of the themes from 2022 is letting, uh, deconstructing problematic things and then reconstructing helpful things, one of the main tasks is to be okay with doubt and questioning. Like one of the main things that we have to deconstruct is like this idea of like, we don't talk about Bruno, except it's like, we don't talk about whether or not God is real or not. <laughs> you know, we don't talk about doubt or we don't talk about questions. That's an Encanto reference for those of you. Yeah, you got it, you got it, you got it. Um, so uh, the, I think that it's, I, I just want to say up top that adoration is like a really tough pill to swallow. And if you're someone who is leaning into a season of doubt or questioning, like this is a great topic for you to be like, okay, so what do I actually believe? Or like, what am I really about? What do I believe like is the nature of, of what is beyond? And does that thing that is beyond whatever it might be, ask anything of me? Um, and and what is a what does right relationship look like? So that, so we're going to dive into adoration today. And I know that for some of you who do have um, experience in the church, uh, a lot of folks at New City grew up in um, evangelical church settings and uh, were accustomed to a very particular style of worship where adoration kind of looked like this, where it was like adoration means like. Uh, your hands are up and you're, you're like so um, consumed by an experience and you're loving. And uh, it was at this, um, um, this kind of worship service that I found myself one Sunday. I was in Atlanta for my uh, best friend's wedding. And it was Sunday and the, the wedding was like Sunday afternoon. And so we had Sunday mornings free. Yeah, we had Sunday mornings free. 
And I'm the kind of person who like, I will always go to church on Sundays. It feels like, like if I don't have a seatbelt on in a car, you know, that feeling that's like, whoa, wait, wait, wait. So I'm like obsessed. <laughs> I love church and I'll always go to church. And that means that if I'm traveling, um, I'll, I'll just go to whatever church is around. And if I'm traveling to Atlanta and I don't have a car, I'll go to whatever church is within walking distance. And so I found myself in a church where there was this like kind of, um, you know, like uh, a lot of special effects and kind of like an ecstatic experience of worship. And, um, and uh, for some folks, that is exactly what they need in their spiritual journey. And so I was, you know, singing along and doing this. And, and there was a... Um, uh, the musician had like taken a, a really old hymn that was from the 1700s written by a, uh, I believe he's a British guy named Albert Wells. And he kind of like added like a cool new lick to it. It's a, a cool new like arrangement to it. And, um, and that's what we were singing. And the line of the, of the song was, would he devote, as in Jesus, that sacred head for such a worm as I. Would he devote a sacred head for such a worm as I? And I thought, wow, isn't it interesting how um, like the echoes of the centuries live into our common practices. And if we're going to understand our present, we kind of have to understand our past. And so here's this song from the 1700s that had what is literally called in theology is worm theology, like literally like lowly worm theology. Calvin had a writing about lowly worm theology. And the idea of uh, lowly worm theology is that if you really understood God, if you really understood the majesty and the greatness and the goodness of God and understood kind of like the nature of evil in humanity, then you would think very lowly of yourself. Like that's kind of the, the take of, of worm theology is like, if you really knew what was going on, you would not like yourself or think very highly of humanity in general because of how like rotten and sinful and uh, problematic we are. And um, yeah, uh, so so let's dive into this a little bit, right? Like, like I, um, especially as a queer person of color, I'm like, uh huh, interesting. How? Uh, let's dive into this. Um, so this is like in a in a body of theology. Uh, worm theology is is real, and Calvinism and all these things is related to. Um, if you've ever been to uh, like a church that there, a common phrase is like more of you and less of me, more of you and less of me, meaning like more of you, God, less of me, uh, meaning like help me diminish myself so that I can increase you in my life. In fact, I was in um, South Dakota and I went to a coffee shop where there was a community chalkboard and someone in big letters in chalk said more of you, God, less of me, like over the entire thing. And so like, this is like a very current uh, a theological uh, pool that people are swimming in, you know, like this is like, this is real. Uh, more of you and less of me, lowly worm theology. Of course, uh, more of you and less of me is a reference to John the Baptist when um, uh, in the book of John, John the Baptist is like, 
I'm trying to be clear that Jesus is Jesus, the Savior, and I'm a guy who like splashes water on people and eats locusts. But like, <laughs> like a lot of people were like, John the Baptist, you're definitely the Savior, right? Like you're definitely God, God incarnate. And he's like, no, 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 like over to this guy. <laughs> and so that was, that's the kind of like the the um, uh, more of you and less of me. And, and it's everywhere. It's, if you're in like, the Christian contemporary world, this kind of thought is like everywhere, everywhere, pervasive, pervasive. And I just uh, want to think really critically about this because as I approach this theology, as I'm worshiping and trying to give my all into this worship service in Atlanta, as I'm looking in at this chalkboard in, in South Dakota, I'm trying to understand it. And what I, as a prayer practitioner, uh, and understanding my gut is, however helpful more of you and less of me theology may or may not be, I wouldn't categorize that as adoration. Adoration is, um, is, a, is a different type of posture than kind of this like, blah, blah, uh, maximize, minimize. Uh, I'm, I'm a lowly worm. If I really understood the way that things are, I would hate myself kind of vibes. Um, that, that's not exactly uh, uh, what I would understand as adoration. And the reason why this is an important distinction is because adoration is one of the fundamental parts of your relationship with God. And so if you don't really like understand uh, a healthy way to adore God, then like that, that might kind of trip you up later on. And so, uh, so it's kind of a big thing. And uh, I just want to name like two reservations that I have about um, more of you and less of me thinking. Actually, before I get into that, I just want to name that like this is part of the Christian story and it came out for a reason. Like this exists for a reason. And there are times when like I do kind of think this is helpful. Like wouldn't it be amazing if the most powerful people in the world had kind of like a theology of like there are things that I don't have power over. Or like, uh, like it wouldn't it be helpful if like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and Joe Biden and Donald Trump were all like practicing humility to such an extreme degree that they were like, God, I'm offering this all to you. I'm, I'm being, I'm being, I don't know. I think that could be kind of interesting and kind of like a performance art, like helpful. I think that could be really helpful for faith. Um, and I, and I, so I, I want to name like, this is part of, uh, one theological body, and I, I'm trying to empathize with where it's coming from. And I have like two pretty big, uh, <laughs> pretty grande uh, uh, reservations or, or questions about this. So one of them, uh, the issues that I have here, are one is like, so there's that whole thing about being a child of God that is also biblical. Like there's that whole thing in Genesis that's like, you are made in the image of God. And there's like that whole Jesus discourse about like, I'm calling you friends. You're no longer slaves to fear, but friend. Like I'm, there's kind of this like uh, familial love and affection that is like thoroughly biblical that I'm not seeing as represented in like a worm to God theology because like that to me feels like it's like I'm creating distance for the sake of recognizing your holiness and I feel like this whole story of the incarnation is God saying I want to be with you I want to be close to you I want to be imminent uh, is the theological word for that I want to I 
want you to wake up in the morning knowing that I'm with you. I want you to know when you lay your head down at night that you are so loved that uh, it changes everything. I want, like God is, is trying to be with us and sending us a spirit all the time. And I just, um, I think that it doesn't honor the amount of love that God put into creating us by saying that we're worms. Also, sub note to that, worms are amazing. Like, like which, which animal is the most like resurrection-y than the one that can like go to the so like the hard soil that does not have the conditions of life and then just by being itself creates fertile soil that allows for the flourishing, like, Maybe we are worms, and worms are like resurrection machine. Like, okay, I'll get into that. Ecotheology. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, but I just think that, like, if we don't understand the belovedness that we have from God, we'll never be able to stay in the long haul of our faith. We're never, like, faith is a marathon, y'all. Faith is, a, is like at least <laughs> your whole life. And if we don't actually ground ourselves in this sense of welcome, affirmation, affection, um, delight in, in, in receiving from and offering to God, it's going to be really hard to like continue to grow that faith over the next like 70 years. And so like, I'm trying to like do like a course correction of like, start with you're a child of God, start with um, the belovedness and, and the goodness that God has put in you, start with the, the sacredness in your bones and then from there, start trying to understand why there is evil in the world. But never let go of the, the anchoring of love in your life because otherwise, once you start considering evil and the nature of sin, it'll just kind of blow you all over the place. Um, the second thing is um, it weirdly ends up centering guilt rather than God. And it's and <laughs> this is like an unintended consequence, but have you ever had a friend who's like, um, who like messed up and was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I feel so bad. I'm so, I'm such a terrible friend. And you're like, no, it's okay. And it's like, oh my gosh, I will make it up to you. I pro I'm so, I'm such a terrible friend. I can't believe that you're even like sticking around with me after all the ways that I've rolled. No, 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 it's okay. It's okay. But I'm so bad. Do you see how like that ends up not really be being an apology, <laughs> it ends up centering like the feelings of uh, trespassing or the feelings of broken relationship rather than centering the person you're apologizing to. And so, and this is actually just a very practical skill for building a beloved community. If you feel like you made a mistake or you've uh, wronged someone, like, be real quick about like, hey, I did this, this was the intention, this was the impact, and I'm really sorry that, that, uh, that it rolled out the way that it is. What can I do? Or like, you know, like, like be real quick about understanding the situation, but then the point is that you're trying to like restore a relationship that was broken because of your actions. And so centering like the, the wronged party is important. And sometimes in this worm theology, it just kind of gets into this like toxic Enneagram 4 thing. If any of you aren't familiar with Enneagram, it's storm of emotions and I'm like oh my gosh so it's like it's like when you're in this shame spot 
because the goal is a restored relationship. And sometimes, even just calling it worm theology, like, what is the one thing <laughs> that is, that is uh, what is the one adjective that we have for theology? Worm, which is the description of humanity, it's not called glory theology, or it's not called liberation. You know, liberation theology is talking about God's activity. This is talking about like the lowliness of the human state. And I just feel like, yeah, I don't think that's, I, I don't think that um, God wants us to just apologize again and again and again, and to live our lives like an apology. The body is not an apology, to cite a very good book, but rather for us to, um, you know, certainly there is a, a place of confession, and we'll, we'll talk in a later week about the role and the importance of naming what is wrong in order to, you know, repair. All of that is important, but it's never the end point. Like, it's never the destination. It's always the thing that, like, you do in order to get to a loving relationship. And uh, lonely warm theology just uh, doesn't do it for me. Uh, in, in my estimation. So, um, so I just want to name that adoration isn't about self-deprecation, but it's about self-awareness. If, if adoration isn't about like talking about how lowly and bad we are, then what is it actually about? Like what is happening in adoration? And I just want to name that like it's, it's about a deep and loving understanding of yourself and your own limitations and boundaries, and a loving of God and, and what God is about. You know, going back to that same example of like the person who's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so terrible, I'm so terrible, I feel so bad. And like, kind of like forcing the person who was wronged to co console the person, which is like double violence. Um, like one of the ways that right relationship happens is when you have a, a confident enough understanding of yourself, a grounded enough understanding that, um, that you can admit vulnerability and wrong, you can name where you've misstepped and still like, you know, have your feet on the ground and have enough confidence that, that you will be able to withstand the heat of that conflict. And one of the things that I think about in the adoration of God is that it's not really about, um, it's not about like, I'm terrible and you're the best and that's why I adore you. It's more like, I understand what I can and cannot do and I see the things that God, you can and cannot do and, and I love you and offer this to you. Let me be, uh, um, a metaphor might be helpful here. So it's kind of like, um, let's imagine that um, there was a person who believed that they could breathe underwater. Now, it would be like kind of, pro um, you know, in a day-to-day -day life that might not be an issue, but eventually that person would encounter situations like swimming in a lake or diving or something where that could be extremely destructive to, uh, to their body. And similarly, when human beings do that thing that humans always do with the empire where it's like we can dominate or control or like have perfect... Um, uh, oppression over our lives, when we uh, uh, um, have the belief that our needs are the most important needs of anyone's <laughs> needs, when we, do, when we do the kind of just the human thing, um, that's kind of like believing that you can believe that you can breathe underwater in that like, 
you know, in the day-to-day, uh, that, that might not necessarily be problematic or um, anything, but there are certain life situations where that can be an extremely destructive belief for you to have about yourself. And adoration is about, like, I am acknowledging that there are things in my life that I cannot control. There are decisions in my life that I can act in, and then there are other situations that I cannot act in. Um, I cannot control whether or not my roommate is going to um, enjoy tidying up or not. (laughs) You know, I cannot control whether or not that straight guy that I have a crush on is ever gonna turn gay. Like there's, there's some things that you just can't control. And, uh, and I think that adoration is kind of like acknowledging once again, like, it's not that I'm bad, it's that I'm limited. It's not that I'm bad, it's that I am like a, a one singular contained human being. And I am coming in contact with, I'm in loving adoration relationship with a God who is infinite from everlasting to everlasting, like David said. And that doesn't mean like, oh man, I should be ashamed of myself because I'm so limited and small because that's how God herself made us. Like, okay, if you didn't want us to be limited, then you shouldn't have made us limited, you know what I mean? But like, but rather just seeing like, wow, I am so aware of, um, there's so much in life and there's so much in this world that um, is beyond me and I can be confident enough in myself to acknowledge that and to lovingly offer back to God the things that are God's. As in G-O-D apostrophe S, God's, that, belong, that which belongs to God. Like I can offer that back with, while having confidence in myself. It's kind of like... Um, you know, like if there were a kid who were like accidentally got into a knife drawer and was like cutting a tomato, like an adult might come along and be like, hey, 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 hey. Um, it's not that you're bad or that you should think of yourself as a lowly worm. It's just that there are certain things that like might not go well for you if, if you, so like, so offer back to me the things that are mine and then, then you have the things that are yours. And like the things that ours are ours is like how we tend to our soul. It's our responsibility to, to um, cultivate a love for God. It's our responsibility to build community and to move through the world in a, in a liberationist kind of way. It's our responsibility to create justice from systems that we, are, uh, uh, that we also created. Like it's, the, 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 there's lots of things that are like humanity's task, but like pretending that we are God <laughs> is not one of them. And again and again, throughout the Bible and throughout the history of the United States, at least, uh, we see like people who think of themselves as gods again and again and again. And that's what that's uh, where we get things like slavery, but <laughs> like believing, having an improper understanding of our relationship to humanity comes from an improper understanding of our relationship to God. So like the, the belief that we can objectify human beings, the belief that we can um, inflict violence against bodies while also like somehow believing that our body isn't also subject to that same violence. Like th- this is a fundamental idolatry. And God, through adoration, is trying to say, hey, offer back to me the things that are mine. Love me for the things that are mine. Give to me the things that are mine. 
And you will be able to live in peace because you understand what is in your control and not in your control. Like the Henry Nouwen prayer, God, um, uh, uh, show me the things... (laughs) I didn't intend on citing this, and now I'm now I'm knee deep into it. You know what I mean? This the serenity prayer. That's like God, show me uh, the courage to change the things I can, the patience to uh, abide with the things that I can't change, and the wisdom to know the difference between that. Like adoration is one of the ways that we cultivate wisdom in our lives to know. We have to accept and love our own limitations are the fact that we're human, the sacredness that is in our bones, but somehow doesn't mean that we're perfect. You know, like we have to kind of like love and understand that so that we can approach a God who is infinitely loving, infinitely just, and infinitely inspiring. Um, This is our work today and throughout this sermon series. I invite you, um, as you're doing your daily prayers, to practice adoration. Even if you're not totally sure about this whole God thing, like practice what it feels like to simply adore and to pour out love and affection with the trust that it'll come back to you. Um, Maybe so. Amen.